Good evening. Um, it, is, it is so good to get to be together tonight. Uh, I say this every time we get to be together on a Sunday night. There's something special about being with our Christian brothers and sisters uh, for a second time um, on, on the beautiful first day of the week. And so I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm, I'm incredibly uh, excited for what we get to discuss tonight. Uh, last time we did a roundtable... Uh, we in our new rotation model, we had handouts. We have handouts again. Uh, these have the questions that we're going to be going through tonight and, and space to fill in. If you would like one of those, we have people who are passing those out again. If you want to raise your hand, um, we, those will get brought over to you. I know that those were, were beloved last time, and so uh, we're very excited to have those back tonight. So if you keep those hands up, uh, eventually you will have a handout be passed your way. Uh, you also might notice that there is, is something different about tonight's roundtable, and it is the fact that we have John Burnett sitting with us. Uh, you, you guys know John uh, pretty well, I imagine, um, but we're very excited because something that we're doing this year is throughout the year on each roundtable session, we're going to have um, kind of what we're calling a guest panelist, uh, and even though um, the guests are, are members of the body and often going to be shepherds here at Buford. We're just very thankful uh, that we're going to get to have people who, are, who we feel like are going to do a great job in the category that we're discussing that night be a part of the roundtable. Tonight we are discussing uh, a, a topic that is not often discussed in the church. Uh, we're going to be discussing intimacy in the home. And as a matter of fact, this is a topic that is, is something that is going to be addressed for this entire month. Kyle started us out last week. We have the roundtable on it this week. And then we'll, we'll move into to more the next couple weeks if the Lord wills. Um, but this is a, a topic that really, as I mentioned, is not addressed often in the church. Um, but it's addressed a lot by the world around us. And so tonight we get an opportunity to have that discussion um, here in this room uh, as, as Christian brothers and sisters. And so what we're going to do is, is I think it looks like a lot of those handouts have been passed out. And so we will go ahead and get started with our first question this evening. The first question that we have is, what are some possible hindrances to intimacy in a Christian family? And, and Kyle, I'm going to throw this one to you first. I, I think... Um... One hindrance is uh, your upbringing or your, your background. How intimacy was modeled in your home, the home of your childhood, can impact positively or negatively um, the intimacy you display in the home you're creating. For me, that uh, was very true because I grew up in a home where my dad never said, I love you, and I never said it to him. It just, he, he grew up in a home where his parents never said it. It was not spoken. Love was not spoken in the house of his childhood. And so he really didn't know how to verbally communicate love to anyone. And so I grew up in a house where me and my dad never said I love you to each other. The first time it was ever said was just a, a couple of months before he passed. And uh, we had gone down to visit them. He was in the hospital and knowing that it might be the last time I saw him in person, I worked up the courage to say it, and he said it back. 
but it's the only time we ever said I love you to each other. I never doubted his love. Uh, it was communicated in other ways, but the verbal communication of it was lacking in my home. And um, because of that, it is very hard for me, or I am very reserved with who I say I love you to. It's not something I easily uh, verbalize. I do, the, the people who hear it the most are my two daughters. Because I, there's a part of me that is like, I'm going to make sure I say it to them because I don't want them to experience what I did. I don't want them to grow up in the same environment I did. But at the same time, I'm not the best at communicating it to my wife. I'm not the best at communicating it to Ben Hogan, who loves to throw it out there to me all the time. Love you, man. <laughs> I love you, too. But I'm not, even though I might be great at it with my, my girls, I'm not great at it in general because I, I didn't experience it growing up. So it, it just makes one hindrance, I think, that, that exists to intimacy in the home is what you experience. And, and there are people who have experienced far worse than me in their upbringing when it comes to intimacy. So I do think that can be a contributing hindrance. That's... Uh... I think so accurate. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this back at you. I know that we don't often have this, um, like more of a conversation, but I do like, like, do you feel like that is something, and if we're stepping on toes over here, stop me and you guys can hop in on this. Uh, do you feel like that, how can you break past that barrier? It's just very, it's just all about intentionality. Hmm. Uh, for, for me, I'll be honest, sometimes I, I'm I, like, specifically with my daughters, it's just like, I have to say this or they grow up yeah. uh, with the, the discomfort that I've had, and mm -hmm. I don't want that. So it's just, it's just all about a mindset of saying, this is what I have to be. And uh, me, I, communicating love for me does not come naturally verbally. I, man, I can communicate in a lot of other ways, but it's just, it's just about saying, hey, this is what I have to do. I mean, it's the same thing as exercise or anything like that. It's maybe uncomfortable, but if you know you need it, you just have to make up your mind to do it. Mm. That's my cheap answer. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. I think uh, the first thing that jumped out at me when I was reading this question was uh, intimacy is going to struggle whenever there's a lack of trust uh, in the relationship. Yeah. And I want to segue for just a second. My wallet and keys are sitting right there on the front row. And it's not because I trust you guys. It's because they all took out their wallet and keys and I figured I was <laughs> supposed to do that. But... Anyway, so we trust y'all, uh, but trust when you're in a family, you know, when you have a reputation or when you want to establish some, uh, some form of discipline in a house, it's easy for us to respond poorly when, when our children want to be intimate with us, maybe sharing things, sharing fears that they have, uh, sharing uh, thoughts they have, uh, maybe even sharing mistakes they've made because they don't trust that we'll respond appropriately. And so I think there has to be trust in that family for there to be an intimacy, for there to be uh, the give and take between parents and children. And, and I am not here to promote uh, we as parents become our children's best friends, but they need to trust that we can handle uh, difficult subjects for them. Uh, because, I'm, you know, we, we see the comedies where, you know, uh, we're approached by our children and they say, go ask your mother, go ask your father. Uh, in reality, that's... 
absolutely not what we want to do. We want to be able to respond to those situations because when we miss those opportunities, they may not happen again. And I imagine every parent in here can remember times when they handled those poorly and wish they had them to do over. So preparing ourselves by being trustworthy in the eyes of our kids, I think, can promote intimacy uh, within our families. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know there's probably hundreds of possible hindrances to intimacy within the family. I, I agree with these guys totally. And I know that this question is supposed to be more broad than just the relationship between husband and wife, but that's kind of what I want to center in on. I, I think one hindrance uh, to intimacy in, in that respect in a Christian family is historically the church's unwillingness to talk about this. Uh, historically, um, the church has run from this discussion like it's the plague um, in some respects. Uh, in the church, just speaking from my experience, raised my whole life, uh, this is something you don't talk about. This is something that as we're together, we don't usually take time to talk about this and have this discussion Together, And that's so interesting because in every other respect, I believe the church does a, a great job at, you know, considering the whole counsel of God. And that we believe that the Bible is giving a, has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And that the Bible makes us thoroughly equipped for every good work. And all those verses, but when it comes to verses about intimacy in the home, when it comes to verses about the relationship between husband and wife, uh, we don't talk about that. We're not going to have that discussion. Uh, that's, that's not something we're going to talk about when we're together. And that, that maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that, but maybe you can, uh, maybe you agree with that. Historically in the church, we're not having that conversation. And what happens when the church is not willing to have this conversation is if you only focus on what you're not supposed to do, you're not going to know what you are supposed to do. And I see this over and over and over again uh, with, with people I interact with and, and my experience uh, in ministry. If you're not helping them know what to do, then what are we doing? And, you know, the Bible is very clear that between man and, and wife, between husband and wife, that the, the marriage bed is, is honorable. It's undefiled. But even though the Bible says that, I know many Christians who, when they first get married, they struggle. They struggle with this idea, okay, flip switch. Now, this thing that I was supposed to hate my whole life, this thing I was detestable, this thing I, you know, ran from my whole life, now all of a sudden, it's okay. This is great. This is a great thing. And I've had people come to me and talk to me struggling. Like, I've, I've been taught to detest this my whole life. And that's because we focus so much discussion on sexual immorality that we don't ever have this discussion of what it looks like to have sexual morality. And I think people uh, are, are afraid of that for, for that very reason. So one of the greatest hindrances, I believe, to intimacy, especially between husband and wife, is because the church fails to have this conversation. And that's why I'm so excited to have this conversation with you guys and, and with all of y'all tonight. And then I, I think that feeds into our next question beautifully. And John, I'm going to go to you first on this one. But, but our next question that we're going to discuss tonight is, 
Why are conversations about sexual intimacy between husbands and wives stigmatized? And what harm is done by avoiding these conversations? And how can we have healthy conversations about sex in the home? I know there's a lot there, but, but I'm going to turn it over to you. Well, I appreciate getting the first opportunity to answer this one because my, my mom's in the audience. And, and so is my son. So I don't think anybody else gets that. But no, I, and I agree. Uh, where Stan was coming, I Stan, Ben was coming, I don't know where that came from, where Ben was coming from, uh, Hebrews 13, 4, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And I think maybe we've spent way too much time on the second part of that verse. Uh, we're having uh, youth events tonight, so we have a lot of kids here tonight, and I would challenge the, the young people here, if you don't know what is meant by the marriage bed is undefiled, ask your parents. It will start a good conversation because you want to have these conversations with your kids because if you don't, they're going to fill their knowledge bank with the knowledge of someone that doesn't care as much as you do, mm. that doesn't have maybe the same priorities for them as you do. So have these conversations with them. Uh, marriage and, and a sexual relationship within a marriage is something that has been, uh, was invented by God for us and for specifically uh, the role of a, a, a loving marriage. And I encourage you to, uh, as parents, to have those conversations with your kids. And it's not too late. It's not too late. Don't assume they know everything because they don't. But I think it's something we start at a young age as well. I mean, uh, I'm not talking two or three years old, but when they get old enough, you start talking about uh, the, the love that you have for your husband or your wife and how God intends and has provided all these blessings that come with this relationship. And as, as, as your relationship uh, grows, as those, that child gets older, you flesh those things out. You give them more information. And I'm not saying you have to share intimate details but if you're asked tough questions, don't say go ask your mother, ask your father. Be prepared with those answers. And if you mess up, go back and open the conversation again and say, you know what, I feel like I didn't do a good job with that. Because your kids, uh, I honestly think they'd rather hear it from you. It, it, TV and everything makes it seem uncomfortable. But if you have an intimate relationship with your children, a trusting relationship with your children, they want to hear it from you. They don't want to hear it from their their friend on the playground. They just don't. They they want you to give them that knowledge. So uh, it is. It's a challenge. It's not easy. But if you go to it and go, well, you know, Thursday I'm going to have that talk. That's tough. But if you, as you uh, like, we read about in Deuteronomy, if you're having these conversations as you walk uh, by the way with them, as you're living, as you're driving them to school, those things, uh, those conversations come a lot easier. Yeah, I want to focus in on. For me, it was the word harm. Uh, what harm is done in avoiding these conversations, especially, you know, for this question, we're talking about parents not having this conversation with their children. I just want to focus in on that, the idea of harm. The harm that's done when parents refuse to have this conversation with their kids, I think John was alluding to this, is that your kids are going to take those curiosities and questions to other people. Uh, they're going to take those curiosities to their friends. Or worse, they're going to take those curiosities to Google and they're going to get their answers there. And is that really where you want uh, your kids to get answers about that? 
Uh, I don't know about you, you know, I'm just, I've got a two-year-old myself, and I'm just horrified by this, but I don't want Jim Bob, you know, or whoever telling him the answers about these things. I don't want him to find it on Google. Uh, I I want him to talk one day, feel comfortable enough to talk to me or or to Jensi about about this, because it is that important. And I can just tell you uh, from experience that when you don't have this conversation with your child, they're not just going to sit there clueless. They're going to go find the answers. They're going to go find the answer from someone else. And I can tell you that, that I had that same experience in my own life, that there was many conversations that were never had in my family. So I went and started asking friends, started asking teammates, started asking all the wrong people for these answers. And that's what happens realistically when you refuse to have, that's the harm that's done. And so uh, what you may not realize is, and now, you know, let's get real, right? The harm that is done when you don't have this conversation is many children will, many teenagers will start to look into uh, pornography uh, because they're Googling and then that happens, right? And so the harm that is done is, and what you may not realize, is the majority of young people that are addicted to pornography, if you trace it back to the beginning, it was because they were just Googling harmless things. What should have been harmless questions directed to you, for some reason or another, they didn't feel comfortable talking to you about it, and so they found those answers on Google, and we, we see what happens uh, to kids who become addicted to those things. And so... Here's the thing about this question. I know that it's uncomfortable for us to talk about this right now. And I can only imagine how uncomfortable it must be to actually have that conversation with your kid. Uh, But it's really a question of what uncomfortable do you want in your life? Do you want the uncomfortable of a conversation or do you want the uncomfortable of a teenager addicted to pornography? That's just how, that's just the bottom line of this discussion, this question tonight. That's the harm that is done. And so that's why we have to start looking at this, uh, because in our day and age, the, the access to information, uh, to filth on the Internet is at an unprecedented place in all of human history. Um, if they want answers, it's not like the old days. They don't have to come to you anymore. And so you should take it as an honor if your child comes to talk to you about something like this, uh, because if the world continues to trend the way it is, when they go to search for those answers, well, they may find answers that don't come back with it's between a man and a woman anymore. And so that'll be because you wouldn't have that conversation with your kids. So if you want your kids to avoid these things we're talking about, then stop avoiding the conversation. And what, what a great opportunity we have tonight. John just talked about it. Uh, and by the way, if your kid comes home and starts talking about it, John told them to. Okay, so direct your, you know, angst at John uh, for that. But I agree with him. That'd be great for you to have a conversation about that tonight, and that's why we're having this conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to, there's a passage of scripture I want us to go to next to continue this conversation. Um, And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So if you want to open your Bible there, let's read this uh, together. It's not going to be on the screen, so if you have a Bible, I'm going to, Open up to it and read it. Um, I'm going to read this passage and then, and then 
Kyle will open up the questioning with you on this one. It says in 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 1, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to her, her should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as myself I am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Um, We read that passage and ask the question, how should we as Christians practically apply this, this instruction by Paul into our lives? Well, first, make the, I want to make the observation that the verse we concluded the reading there at verse 7 where it talked about a gift. And it says some people have one gift, some people have another gift. A marriage is a gift. That's what Paul is saying. And if you go read the, the, read the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, like Proverbs, it will get reiterated. The sexual intimacy that comes with a marriage is a gift from God, and we need to treat it as such. What fascinates me in this passage is in particular verse 4, where you have this statement, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. As far as I know, this is the only time Paul in particular, and possibly all the authors of the New Testament, specified a form of equality outside of the spiritual in the husband-wife relationship. You can actually continue through the book of Corinthians, and you'll come to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, where, or yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, where Paul says the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband. Or you can get to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where you have the, uh, Paul saying women should keep silent in the churches. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. You can see where throughout the, uh, the New Testament, you have this superiority of the husband over the wife, uh, both culturally, because uh, Peter would address that in 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, you have this uh, authority that the husband is, has bestowed upon him in the relationship by God as this headship in the family, spiritually speaking. There is equality in the sense of, as husband and wife, you are both uh, your brother and sister in Christ. There is equality in the sense that you are both saved and members of the Lord's body. But this is the only other form of equality. That even though the husband has headship over the wife in the family, he doesn't have authority over his own body. She does. That equality is amazing when you think about it. It, it is astounding that at the core of the relationship between the husband and wife and the emphasis placed here on sexual intimacy, that Paul is saying that consideration of one another and submission to one another take precedent. Paul is, is, is de-weaponizing sexual intimacy here. In these instructions, Paul is saying that withholding sexual intimacy to get your way or abusing sexual intimacy for your own purposes, either one is wrong. 
because you don't have authority over your body and she doesn't have authority over hers. There is a mutual, there's a mutuality here in this intimacy that takes into consideration one another and treats one another as equals in the relationship. Hmm. That goes, honestly, that deep down goes back to the trust John led off with about intimacy. And we need to start looking at this passage and understanding that there is expectations here that we're going to treat each other as equals. And we're going to take care of one another in, in all forms of intimacy within the relationship. So it's a very powerful and challenging passage that we overlook consistently because we don't want to talk about this subject in the church. Mm. But for me, the thing that stands out, the, the, the practicality that's here is noticing the equality that requires my consideration of my spouse and her consideration of me. My submission to my spouse and her submission to me. I, I think those are great comments, and, and I've never thought of it, that por- part of it, like equality. I, you know, I'm drawn back to Ephesians 5, where so many times we, you know, wives submit to your husband, and that's the first one, that's the one we, we hammer on, and then husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And we get in this, this deadlock when there's this intimacy problem uh, maybe that exists between husband and wife, well, you got to go first. You got to submit to me, then I'm going to love you like Christ loved the church. Mm. I've taken uh, a new, uh, later in my life, and uh, it would have been better if I had this idea earlier, this thought of it, but with, with the responsibility that's given to men to, to be the head of the household, uh, I've got tough talk for men. We go first. You know what? We love our wives like Christ loved the church. We do that. We take that responsibility that we must take as men, as spiritual head of the home. The woman's going to have no problem submitting. Mm-hmm. The, and, and mutually, this gets cleared up. But if, if you find yourself, if intimacy is lacking because my wife doesn't submit to me, um, and you're the man, you need to take a close look at how you're loving her because I would guess that you're not loving her like Christ loved the church. A sacrificial love, uh, a love that is selfless, one that has her concerns uh, at the forefront of every action that you take. Uh, so that's just kind of yeah. what I would add to that. Well, I mean, I just want to add to that thought. You just had a perfect, perfect way of looking at this is, you know, Christ loves the church even when we don't submit to him. Even when we come up short, even when we fail, he still loves us. He still wants to have a relationship with us. And if we were to truly love each other, love our spouse, you know, like Christ loved the church, well, that's even if they don't submit, we still love them. Um, so for me, clearly, verse 5 about depriving one another, um, I think there's a, a big challenge you know, on, on television, on sitcoms, on movies, whatever, uh, there's this idea that, you know, you can punish your spouse uh, if they're not, you know, on their P's and Q's uh, about your relationship. And so, well, this is how I'm going to get you back. I'm going to withhold myself from you. Well, I mean, Paul says, this is ridiculous. You cannot do that. Uh, that that is not what a godly marriage looks like, and so many times you hear of this happening with people's, you know, freezing the husband out, freezing the wife out, stuff like that, and that's just ridiculous in the mind of Paul right here in First Corinthians chapter seven. Uh, it's childish. Uh, it's 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 sinful. It's evil. Uh, 
to do that type of thing, uh, looking at this passage right here. But I really wanted to focus in on verse 7, because to me, verse 7 may speak to some people here tonight uh, that are not married, are not in a relationship uh, where this is an issue right now, or they're not parents. And so they're not worried about having to communicate to their children about these types of things. I'm talking to people who are single here tonight. Look at what verse 7 says. I wish that all men were even as myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Uh, Verse 7 stands out to me because there are plenty of people in here tonight who are probably thinking, you know, why am I here? This discussion doesn't really pertain to me. I'm not married. I don't have kids. It's just me. But if you look at what verse 7 says, Paul says that singleness is a gift from God if you choose to let it be. If you choose to let your singleness be a gift, God can use that in you. Look at what he says. It's a gift according to verse 7. Look at verse 32 and 33. He says, I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. You see, Paul thought that his singleness allowed him to be partaking in the gospel, partaking in the work of the church all the more. Because instead of worried about you know, pleasing his wife and, and pleasing his children and, and having his mind distracted with all of, of those things, those are great things. But what is amazing is Paul says... I have all the more time to focus in on the Lord and focus in on the church and focus in on my relationship with the Lord. And so if you're here tonight and you're, and you're thinking, man, what a terrible discussion around Valentine's Day. I'm already, you know, it's a sore spot right now. Well, look, you can use your singleness for the glory of God. Use that singleness as a gift. Use that singleness to fill this congregation with all the more service because of your singleness. And so I I, I love how Paul brings it around. And it's often not a thing we think about, singleness as a gift. But it is. And that's how Paul lived his life. And I think it's how you can live your life too, if you're like that in this room tonight. And think about this. A single guy is giving married people instructions about a sexual relationship. Yeah. Now that has to be inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. Mm. yeah. I love it. I, I'm going to go ahead and, and move into the next question now. I love y'all's thoughts on that. And I just, I love that I get to sit here and, and, and hear all the, the thoughts tonight. Um, question number four. In a family that seemingly lacks intimacy on any level... What are some some suggestions? So this is a very practical application. What are some suggestions for growing more intimate relationships? John, I want want to go to you first on this one. Well, it's a difficult, I mean, building intimacy. You know, I I mentioned on creating this trust. You know, we have to be trustworthy for that uh, relationship to start to build. I think to be to have an intimate family relationship, and this is parents to children or children to each other, even uh, you between your brothers and sisters, is we need to respect the differences that we all have. That that 
we are created with. And I can tell you, and I'll let you draw your own conclusions, but I have one child that's not like the others. <laughs> and that's wrong. She's not watching. Oh, I just can't. No, I'm. We all know you're talking about Ben. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. Actually, I'm, I'm not picking on her, but she is completely different. My youngest daughter is completely different than my other two children. And that's okay. And it's taken a long time. And my wife will tell you it's taken me a long time to realize that. But if I could have earlier in my life respected differences, I would have had a lot more joy in that relationship. Mm-hmm. And she and I, uh, we get along great. And we, I feel like we do have an intimate relationship. But I can't imagine what it could have been like if I would re- recognized earlier how different she was. And trying to treat all your children the same, it all sounds great mm-hmm. in a, a book. And, uh, you know, but you have to treat them differently because you have to understand that they all have uh, different strengths and different weaknesses. And when you recognize those, when you honor those, it creates an environment where there's trust. If, if my expectations are that child number two uh, responds to situations exactly like child number one, I'm going to get a second child that is, that is hemmed in by these expectations that I've put on them that were created by somebody that maybe had no authority to be creating expectations. They're the first ones. They're the ones we make the mistakes on if you're a parent. So, so respecting one another's differences, respecting the difference between a husband and wife, respecting the weakness of each uh, creates an intimate environment, creates a, uh, an experience together where when you recognize those things and the sooner you do, the better, the more your relationship grows. That's, uh, you know, I'm not throwing scriptures at you, but if I wanted to, hmm. I would encourage you to read all the scriptures that refer to, uh, well, I had one written down here for another question. Um, Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know, we can take that and apply it to our lives and how we treat each other, how we treat our uh, fellow Christians. Do we ever take those verses and apply them to our relationships within our family. Because we, have, we owe them those same uh, responsibilities of kindness and forgiving and things like that. And sometimes I think that, that we've given, just been given this chapter or two of instruction on how we're supposed to treat our, our kids. But we owe them the same consideration that we owe any Christian. Obviously, we're not going to discipline any other Christian like we would our own child but we owe them the same kindness, the same uh, ability to forgive. We need to recognize that, that they're different from us and, and celebrate and work through those differences if it's a hindrance to you. Yeah, so uh, look, before I get started, I love my parents. I love my parents. Uh, they raised me to be faithful to the church. They raised two other, uh, my two siblings, to be faithful to the church. And so they have a success rate that I've yet to see in my own life. So before I even say anything uh, about my parents, I'm going to say that they did a great job, um, regardless of what you think about me, right? But uh, they did a great job. But I will say this question hit me a little bit, uh, family that lacks intimacy. See, I had great intimacy with my mom. I was, I'm, I'm still a mama's boy, Jency. Uh, uh, is, is probably to this point still like, okay, I get it. You love your mom. Okay. All right. But like when it comes to my, me and my dad, that's just not something I, I had. Now he told me he loved me and he did love me and he showed me that love all the time. But as far as, you know, intimacy is this close relationship and this trust and things we've been talking about tonight. 
uh, that's not something I felt like he thought he owed me, right? And I, maybe you feel the same way of, uh, about that tonight, but maybe you feel all I owe my child is a roof and food and clothes. And, but no, you owe them intimacy as well. And so for me, practically, how do you improve your intimacy in your home? I look back and realize that there was no love languages going on up in my house, okay? All right, so for me, this is something I've learned a lot uh, uh, in working with Kyle. This is something Kyle's very passionate about. And so as far as practically how to go into it, maybe I'll let him do it. But for me, uh, understanding that each, kind of John was talking about this, each kid is different. Well, each person is different in what makes them feel loved. Uh, and there's different love languages. There's words of affirmation. There's uh, physical touch. There's uh, gifts. There's acts of service. There's quality time. All these different ways that you can show love to your loved ones. And that's not just limited to husband and wife. And so a lot of times uh, you as parents may think, well, they, they, my kids know I love them, but you're not doing... You're not loving them the way that they need to be loved. And in a lot of times, I needed words of affirmation growing up that I never got. Uh, and y'all are reaping the benefits of that, uh, especially Kyle and people who are close to me, right? Constantly words of affirmation. You're, you're great, man. You're okay. Yeah. Like, well, that's because I didn't get it growing up, right? And maybe you're the same way. Maybe you didn't get quality time growing up. Maybe you didn't feel uh, that, that you were... You, you have a problem with physical touch because you didn't have much physical touch growing up or, or things like that. And so what I want to say tonight is in, in a family that's lacking intimacy uh, on any level, have you thought about the way that you show your love to your loved ones? Uh, because every single person is different. Every single person uh, needs to be loved differently. And that is something that you can look into. There's, there's so many books on, on this subject, on the love languages. But I think it will really help us as a congregation on an individual home level and just in any relationship that you have, understanding that, you know, John, you're an elder. And you know already, just sitting here, that, you know, Kyle needs a certain thing from you as an elder, and I need a certain thing from you as an elder, and it's totally different sometimes, right? And so it's really any relationship uh, that's on any intimate level, uh, like elder to minister or parent to child, that you're going to have to consider this on how you show your love, because you may be feeling like, I am giving you all this quality time. Are you kidding me? How do you not know I love you? Yeah, but in that quality time, you didn't say a single thing that was nice. And so your person that you're showing love to is like, I hate quality time with you because every moment I spend with you, you're not saying anything nice to me. Right? And you may be doing, you may be doing your own undoing in doing so. And so love language is something you need to look into uh, because it's something that uh, will really transform uh, your relationships if that's what you're looking to do. Kyle, would you want to? Yeah, let me just share a couple things real quick. Uh, three, well, three. Three practical things that, that I think of when it comes to uh, creating more intimacy. One is share unique experiences. If you aren't good at communicating love, if you're not good 
at physical touch, if you're not good at, at these love languages, share unique experiences. I think about David in the Bible. He had some of the most intimate relationships. I mean, he had one of the most improper intimate relationships, but he had some of the strongest with his friends, with Jonathan, with a group known as his mighty men. And their shared experiences all centered around uh, their military victories and things like that. Unique experiences that bond you with somebody. It could be traveling with your loved one, or, or it can be spending, uh, going hiking, or go, you know, finding unique experiences just for you and that person. That's one way to build intimacy. Another practical thing I would suggest is engaging in their interests, not your own. One thing I find fascinating about Jesus is when he goes to call Peter, Andrew, James, and John, what does he do? He gets in the boat and goes out on the, the lake with them where they're fishing. He's engaging in what their life is all about. When he's at that well in Samaria and a woman walks up to him and she starts asking all of these random theological questions, does he call her out for, tr being, for trying to avoid the, the true issue about her marital situation? No, he engages in the conversation with her to keep keep building that relationship and that rapport with her. So um, uh, engaging in the interest of the other person is a way to build intimacy. And finally, the third practical thing I would say is um, give them your undivided attention. You go look at um, Jacob in the Bible. He had two wives, Leah and Rachel, and they were always in competition for his attention and his affection. They're making trades with each other to get time with him, to get his attention. And when your spouse or your sibling or your children or your parents aren't getting your undivided attention, it's going to be hard to develop an intimate relationship. So those are my three practical things. And let me say one last thing that has nothing to do with this question. Probably sitting among us or listening to us in the future, there are some who come from homes that never had any intimacy. And they were a struggle to be in. Maybe you were in homes that were abusive or you had uh, homes where you were abandoned or, or homes where who knows what. Probably the most important thing we could communicate to you tonight is that those homes are not representative of God. God our Father is not represented in those kind of environments. Our God is a God who knows you intimately. I mentioned this in the sermon last week. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. He knows every little detail about you. And in James chapter 4 and verse 8, he's, he, he calls on us. He begs of us almost. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Mm. Our father is a father who desires intimacy with you. Not one who takes advantage of it. So if you're listening or, or with us tonight, your past experiences of a home that lacked intimacy are not a reflection of the home God is building for you or the relationship he wants to have with you. Ben? It's a, a beautiful way uh, to end this evening. Um, I think that it's, it's pretty easy to walk away from a night like tonight and say, man, I, I want to be better in these specific areas and putting, a, you know, you guys spend a lot of time talking about finding individual needs for people in your family. That sounds like, oh, I just got, that's a simple, it's not easy. It takes time. Um, it, it is so difficult. And, and everything we talked about tonight is not, not easy. Um, I imagine that there are people in the room right now who probably 
look at their lives and say, we have no intimacy in our home, um, and, and we need that to change, but we don't know where to start. Uh, we would love to pray with you. Um, we would love to spend that time. If, if you need help in that instance, there are, are the elders here are so willing to talk. Ministers, um, please come speak with one of us, and, and we would love to pray with you. Um, I'll also say this. It's, it would be, we'd be remiss to end a service and not remind everyone that the waters of baptism are, are available to, to those who have not put on Christ in baptism. Um, and, and we want to make sure that if you are not baptized into Jesus Christ tonight, that please don't leave here without, without making that a part of your life, without becoming a disciple of Jesus. We're going to close in prayer now. Um, we're not going to offer a formal invitation, but please come talk to us if there's anything that you need. Let's close in prayer this evening. Our Father, you uh, are so great, and we understand that sometimes in our homes we can um, treat each other poorly. We understand that sometimes we can be people who, who just don't have intimacy in our homes. And Lord, we know that this is a struggle, um, and we don't look at struggles and, and say that they're excuses. Lord, we ask that you please guide us with wisdom on how to get past the difficulties on intimacy in the home, um, to allow ourselves to, to thrive and to, to grow and to have a home that reflects you, that reflects your will for us. We're so thankful for, uh, for everyone who's in this room tonight, for the beauty of, of what this room represents, your church here um, in Buford, Georgia. And we ask that you please allow us to be people uh, who go into our community and share Share your gospel with everyone around us. We love you, Father. We are so thankful for the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask this prayer. Amen.